Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Homage to the Buddha, the blessed, noble, and fully self-enlightened one. So, following on from the um, talk on dependence origination, uh, usually <coughs> you have to, uh, what, you know, there's, there's a need to talk about karma and what um, what the Buddha talks about karma, because obviously it's, there's a lot of uh, sometimes a lot of confusion about it. Uh, the Buddha was quite clear that what we experience isn't, uh, you know, isn't always our personal karma. So we have to be pretty clear what, what we mean by karma, or else we're going to get into all sorts of sillinesses. <clears throat> to give you a rather strange example of that, we had an elderly man who used to look after us at the monastery. You know, he swept the paths and things like that and I said to him one day I said um, why do you think Jesus Christ ended up being crucified he must have done something terrible in his past life <laughs> there was no there was no concept that one might suffer out of compassion you know one might like for instance uh, uh, these people who undergo torture and terrible things for their, you know, for political freedom. Uh, you know, it's like they must have done something in, bad in their past lives. And it's funny, um, Noreen, whom some of you know, um, she's had this o operation to take away the larynx so she can't speak. And uh, somebody said to her, you know, you must have done something terrible in your past life. <laughs> didn't make her feel very well. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, something that we've done in our past lives does come through, but what about something done to us in our past lives? That has also been worked out. So supposing you're, you know, stuck in, say, Syria at the moment, and you're just an innocent kid and you get blown up. So that's in your system, you know, that has to be worked out. And in, in, your, in your next life, somehow you're going to have to process that. So it clears out your system. So all this business about things that happened to us, it must have been something that I did that was terrible. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't hold. Now, of course, uh, when we talk about karma, there's a presumption of future lives, future births, which presents a problem of how that, uh, that process happens. Um, and there are, there are Buddhists. I mean, you know, they, they call themselves Buddhists, secular Buddhists, as they know many of whom don't believe in that at all. They just, you know, like, you, you die and that's the end of it. So really, that's just something that you put on the back burner. The Buddha was uh, uh, also in that, you know, up against that sort of skepticism. He said, look, he said, if you follow the Dharma, and uh, you follow the good life, you know, then you'll get the benefits in this life. If there is a future life, then you'll get the benefits there as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, will you... Practice just for practice sake because, you know, it does better our lives. So, um, 
we talk about the five niyama, the five laws, and many of them approximate to what we understand. They are the physical laws, the laws of hereditary, uh, the, the, the psychological laws, then the law of karma, and then spiritual laws. And so you can see there, it's one of five that might happen to us. So when this uh, terrible tsunami happened, and now quite a while back, and um, it really killed a lot of people on the seaboard of Sri Lanka, and of course uh, other places, Indonesia and places like that. And uh, there would have been many, you see, who would have been at ease with that, on the grounds that they'd done something terrible in their past lives. That's a very, sort of, an Eastern way of looking at things, you know. And the fact that, well, you know, we live in a world that's a Nietzsche and all that. So, many good-hearted therapists, Western therapists, went out to help them and found they really didn't need that much help. <laughs> it's, only, it's only Westerners who uh, can't handle the way things really are that need therapy, you see. So, we, as, as soon as you are born into this world, of course, you're part of a matrix. And if you happen to be born in an earthquake area and you're walking on the street and suddenly you're swallowed up and crushed to death, <laughs> that's just part and parcel of the, uh, of the contract. And it's nothing to do with you personally. Um, and once, once, we're, once we can see that, uh, when you get uh, you know, these strong winds, somebody dies because of these strong winds or they're carried out to sea and drowned, all that belongs to the fact that we're on this earth. It's just a simple fact. The karma, which is to do with liberation, is how the person reacts when they're in that situation. Years ago, there was an earthquake in Brazil, and I, I remember it because of this little story. And days on, can't have been that many days, but days on, they found this woman with her, with her young child, uh, to my memory, under three, a very young child, completely locked into this little space. And to feed the child, she'd cut her finger so that the child could suck the blood and, and survive beyond her. You know, now, when, when, when you read that story, you can see that that woman uh, is, um, what can we say, um, because she's with her child and her love goes out to her child, she's able to transcend the situation. Whereas others might have died in absolute abject fear. Slowly, horribly, you know what I mean? So you can see, uh, in, in a case like that, that um, it's how the person reacts. It's always this tanha. See what we talked about yesterday, the, or the day before, about the, uh, the way that we react to things, coming from this delusive place. So that would be your karma. See, if you found yourself uh, in a road accident, or a, a tree blows over and hits you on the head <laughs> uh, for, it, for some such reason, how you react to that, that's your, that's your suffering. The actual what happens to your body is just pain. So we learn that here in the, in the, on, on the posture. You know, we sit in a position and there's pain in the knees, well, that's just pain. And, and what we discovered is by taking this attitude of investigation, objectifying it, then there's no suffering. There's not that secondary arrow that the Buddha talks about. Secondary darts, you see. 
So there's a, a real distinction to be made there, you see. Then there's this business of hereditary, see. So the bodies we end up with are, are the product of who knows how many uh, generations. And, and if you happen to be born with some birth defect or uh, a disability, now that isn't your personal karma either. It's how you, it's how you deal with it. You know? um, there's always an example I point to when, when I talk about this. I, was, I stayed at Amarawati, the Buddhist monastery just north of London for a while. And uh, a young man came who had uh, a disease, uh, had a hereditary uh, illness, which uh, really distorted all his limbs. Uh, and he virtually couldn't do anything for himself. I mean, you know, it was that, like that. And he was, uh, he was bedridden mainly. And um, very light-hearted, uh, you know, s uh, very interested in spiritual matters, very much at ease. And seemingly accommodated to his situation, to his condition. But the story went that um, when he uh, began to develop this in early childhood, the parents had asked the doctor whether this would happen again, and they all said, oh, it's a million, a hundred million to one, you know. But unfortunately, the daughter they had also began to develop this very same thing. And the story goes that she was very embittered by, you know, very... Uh, distraught and had not really come to terms with it. So you can see there again you have the body and then you have the reaction to it, you know. And that's that was her karma. That's the karma which is creating suffering. Karma here means action. Yeah? Not, not the product of your action. So uh, it's a case of, uh, of recognizing that um, what we what we have from hereditary is is a given, and again, you just you, you know that, that's the way it is. When I was a teenager, I did lots of exercises to grow taller. Lots of suffering. <laughs> Nothing happened. Terrible. It was worse than my hair fell out. <laughs> suffering. God, <there> was suffering. <laughs> Spent pounds on special lotions. I don't know, somebody made a lot of money out of me. I <laughs> <laughs> if I'd have known I was going to become a monk, I wouldn't have worried so much. So that's just one of those things. I should have missed it, by the way, because my father was bald as a coot. So I should have missed it. My generation should have missed it, but my mother was bald. No, it was just that her family also, <laughs> also had baldness. So I, I, I got stricken. The, uh, the next one is the, the laws of psychology, which is what we studied, um, what we talked about uh, the other night. Uh, the chitta, the mind, the mind. In, 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 in this language, the chitta, the word chitta, refers to both the, the, um, the, the mind and the heart. Remember, we split these two in our great enlightenment. But in the old, old pre-enlightenment days, pre-17th century or something, um, 
you know, it was understood in Christianity you had a body, a soul, and a spirit. You see, and the soul really was your body and mind. And this goes back to the Greeks, and and uh, and it was just understood that we made up of these three things. You see, body, heart, mind, and uh, the, the spirit. Um, so this word chitta actually is that, and often. In the East, when people talk to them, they say, I think, they point to the heart, they don't point to the head. They're still <coughs> coming from uh, how they feel about things as well. You know? So the important thing there is to recognise that uh, your karma, uh, you know, if, like the brain, for instance, if the brain um, begins to... Uh, you know, go sick, you'll end up with Alzheimer's or dementia. That's not your personal karma. It's just, so that's just what you're ending up with. <laughs> if, um, if you haven't got a very good memory, if you haven't got a, a, a great intelligence because, of, because you haven't got good memory, all these sorts of things, oh, you know, they're not your personal karma. You know? I mean, we'd all wish to be geniuses, but unfortunately they're, they're few and far between. So there is that law going on. There's the law of perception that comes in. You can't, you can't, you can't see anything else but what your eyes will give you. It's a full stop. Okay? You can't hear beyond what your ears will offer you. You're you're trapped in this, <laughs> in in this sensory in this sensory bubble. See, and, you, yeah, and that's it. Not to say that we, we can't extend our hearing um, through various devices and stuff like that, but uh, it's a case of recognising that the whole psychology of perception, of memory, uh, of understanding, of, of intellectual thought, all that belongs to the mind, the body-mind complex, the brain-mind. In Buddhism, the mind is separate from the body. The Buddha talks about it as the subtle body or the mental body. And that's what separates our birth and takes rebirth. And then we come to karma, which I'll come to in a minute. And then there's the spiritual law. So the spiritual laws are all those things concerning the teachings of the Buddha, basically. So it would be the Four Noble Truths, the hindrances, how to deal with them, the fact of enlightenment, which we've touched upon. All those things come under uh, the spiritual laws. And uh, as soon as you meditate, see, as soon as you meditate, and you put yourself into that position of awareness, the spiritual laws begin to manifest. You don't have to do anything. So with awareness, with this right awareness, the other factors just arise naturally to support it. So there has to be concentration there. There has to be the effort to maintain it. There has to be the interest, which is driving the investigation. See, there has to be the equanimity. Even though, you know, as you become more skillful, you can see that some of these things can be a bit out of balance, too much effort, especially that's the usual one. Um, the fact is, when, the, when you have right awareness, all the factors are there. And just on that point... Because this is often confusing. When we begin meditation, we start with calmness, usually. That calmness is a body feeling, 
And it's also a mental thing, calm, still, silent. There might be just moments of it. Now, it begins like that as a mirror in the body, heart, and mind of the quality of calmness. But as you pull out of that into the observer, all these factors are within the observer. The observer is calm, even though the body is restless. See? That's why in that inner eye, that inner looking of the, of the, of the awareness, once it's, once it's positioned itself, once it's found this observation post, all the factors must be there. They can't not be there, you see. Then, of course, we make a mistake because we perhaps over-effort. <clears throat> we, we start looking for something rather than looking at something. Or we get a bit lazy and then, then, then you fall asleep. Okay? But when it's right awareness, all the factors are there. They arise naturally. See? And the whole business that we're talking about with hindrances, all these... Uh, unwholesome mental states and stuff like that, just observing them allows them to dissipate. See, that's, a, that's a spiritual law, how to purify the heart. So remember, part of the process, there's two processes going on. There's the purification of the heart from all this negativity and its growth in beauty, metta, all that. And on the other side, there are these insights going on, which is fundamentally changing our relationship to the world so that we don't keep making the same mistakes. Okay. So these things, uh, these things happen quite naturally, and this is the magic of it, quite naturally once you're in that state of awareness. That's why the Buddha's always on about awareness. And if you were to choose one word which encapsulates the whole of the Buddha's practical teaching, it would have to be sati, this one word. It all hangs on this one word, sati. So now, uh, we've talked about karma in terms of what it isn't. So I suppose we should say what it is. Huh? Um, the, it's important, I think it's also important to understand how the Buddha... Uh, saw things happening uh, because one of the mistakes that we can also make is the idea of fate uh, that things just happen to us and we have no control um, that it was fated that the tree fell on top of me uh, that it's, it, was a, it was just fate that I ended up uh, you know, uh, being brought up an English person you see what I mean, it's just uh, everything happens to me because I get the sense, I, I can get this, the feeling that I don't really have a choice. The feeling is that things just happen to me. Or that when I do make a choice, the choice is conditioned anyway. You know? And this, this arises in Christianity with this whole idea of God knows everything. So he, he knows you're going to be saved or not from all times. So you get Calvinism, predestination. So it doesn't matter what you do in this life, you're going to be saved <laughs> or not saved. Sounds a bit wicked to me, but there we are. So this idea of, how do you get beyond that idea of fate? And on the other hand, there's this idea of some sort of uh, chaos, that things just happen. You know, there doesn't seem to be any order whatsoever. So uh, the Buddha's understanding around causality was that, yes, 
because of something in the past, something happens now. Because something happened in the past, something happens now. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you if you uh, buy a lottery ticket, then and you win some money, that's because because <laughs> you bought the lottery ticket. Because I'm not suggesting you buy a lottery tickets. It's terrible, terrible. Uh, and, and on the other hand, if you didn't buy it, you wouldn't have. You can't win. <laughs> so there's also this this omission as well. Something that you didn't do will also have its effect. So that would be a progression in time, you see. And you can see that if that's if that was the fullness of why things happen, then you would be into fate because it's already predestined from the past. You did this, and now this has happened. You see. But uh, the other thing uh, the Buddha points out is that because something happens now, something is happening. And to understand that, it's a case of recognizing that when you do something, uh, it doesn't go into a vacuum, it goes into a matrix. So you never know the consequence of what, you're going, of what you've done. Yeah. So um, here, for instance... Um, all of you had this idea to come to Satipanya from all sorts of different places. And the arrival here, now, is a consequence of all that. And this wouldn't have happened were it not for those decisions made in the past. And you were coming here not knowing, some of you anyway, not knowing what the hell was going to happen. <laughs> See what I mean? It's like you don't know. And when you get here, there are all these strangers, all these horrible people. So you got... <laughs> So, it's a case of recognizing that what happens now also is having an effect in the now. So, it's a, if you can imagine all these strands of, of past actions, the physical, the physical world, the biological world, the psychological world, personal decisions, all meeting every moment, you see. Now, if it were just that, then you could see, well, where would there be any order? It would be quite chaotic. And it's the conjoining of these two that's a sort of paradox, that some things are ordained from the past and yet come into the present and meet things that they didn't expect. And therefore, every moment has this creativeness about it, this sort of creativeness about it, so that we never know what's going to happen next. Absolutely. You know, you never know absolutely what's going to happen. So you can see there that what, uh, how the Buddha explains the fact that things are ordered and yet we have creativity. Okay, and that undermines the idea of fate. See? Because if you're aware of this present moment and its constituents, then the decision you make is dependent upon what's in the now, not what's in the past. And then that affects your future. So there's always a possibility of change. Of changing uh, personally, as an individual, of changing the path. Of changing what you're doing. See? Yeah, the sort of... Uh, and you get that, that feedback loop, you see. comes back to you, keeps coming back to you. Um, and, then, and then you wake up. You know, uh, take for instance somebody who, um, you know, goes through multiple relationships. And at first the other person is 
absolutely glorious, you know. I'm so lucky and all that, you know. A couple of months, two or three months, I'm like, I don't know what the hell I saw, you know. <laughs> and this keeps going on, they're horrible, people are absolutely horrible. And then suddenly they wake up one morning and, and they, they suddenly grasp, well, maybe it's me. <laughs> and, and just a little small insight that maybe, maybe I'm also part of the cause of these multiple relationships that, that helps them to correct their, you know, make decisions, correct their, and then hopefully find something a little more lasting. So uh, that's the idea of, um, of um, how things come to be, the law of co- you know, causality. So uh, karma then becomes really um, what you do, right? Your actions. Um, and remember that we come back now to intention. Everything, everything that happens, we have a reaction towards because of past history towards what's happening. Yeah? So if you hear beautiful music, there's a tendency to want to you know, listen to it and to really enjoy it and sometimes to indulge in it, you know, keep playing it over and over and over. Um, that's conditioning. Right? This, this is what we mean by conditioning, or this word sankara that we chant. And that's all been uh, conditioned in the past, you see. And in this present moment, when it arises again, it always comes up with an intention, and that's your tanha. So tanha is wrong intention. I'm only speaking now about, you know, unwholesome karma, but there is, remember, wholesome karma. So you've got karma which comes out of love, compassion, uh, sympathetic joy, uh, reciprocal joy. Um, And that, of course, would develop the better side of us. So there's always comes this intention. Now, one of the things that I haven't particularly pushed on this retreat, but I would do so on a full Mahasi, is really noting intentions. Right? So there's the noting, but it's the noting of intention which is so crucial. Intending to open the door. You know, intending to eat. The, the fact that you're saying it is the intention. And what we're trying to understand is that even the smallest action, even me doing this business, <clears throat> you know, shaking my hands about, even that has some intention in it. Even if it's only subliminal, there must have been some intention. There's a lovely um, example of that given in the Visuddhimagga, which is a sort of later work, uh, but, it, but it's seen as a sort of, um, uh, it's Theravada Buddhism, it's, it's written by uh, a monk that was called Buddha Gosa, and in it he talks about, there was a, a teacher giving a talk, and suddenly he raised his hand and stopped talking, and then in silence he put his hand back, you see. So the student said, what happened? <laughs> he said, I didn't, I didn't note the intention of moving my hand. That's how, you see. So you can see how, how advanced he was compared to me. Yeah, I have no clue what I'm doing my hand. So, <laughs> so it's catching this intention. Now, every intention, once it's empowered, becomes an action. Okay. So if you intend to open the door, you open the door. Now there's nothing particularly ethical about that. Um, 
it's just opening the door. <laughs> but um, the, uh, every action produce every action produces uh, a habit, so that after a while you definitely know how to open doors. <laughs> and remember that opening a door here should have an existential quality about it. It's not a case of just opening the door. It's a case of doing it very slowly and recognizing that you've actually moved out of a different space. You become somebody else on the other side of the door, even though it's not, it's not so obvious. So it's, <laughs> it's actually uh, recognizing that from an intention there comes an action and then you create a habit. Okay? So if you, um, if you decide uh, uh, that, you know, that you come home and you're going to watch the news on the TV, then once you've done it and you enjoy it, the next day you come back and, and do it, and then after a while, it's just something you do. It becomes habitual. If you put all these habits together, the Sankara, then what you, what you have is your personality. That's, that's your, in Buddhism, that's your personality and character. It's a set of, a set of habits. That's all it is. And once that's set, as it were, your, your destiny is, is ahead of you, you see. And it's only when we keep falling over that we might wake up and think, well, what, what about these habits I've got? You know, maybe, I should, <laughs> maybe I should change a few of them. And that's, of course, the practice we're in, trying to move away from those habits which cause us problems to, well, to those which are beautiful. So that's your... That's the process of karma in the sense of an action. Now, the other thing that we have to remember is that it's those actions which have an ethical value which are important. So if we remember the story of the Buddha again, there were three knowledges. The first one was that he was purified. There were no more unwholesome mental, mental qualities in him. And that he saw how he came to this position through a series of past lives driven by his ethical decisions. And then he saw other beings moving around in the same way. So ethics is, in other words, our, our whole relationship to human beings, to buildings, to trees, everything else. That is our ethics. That's what we mean that Buddha meant by ethics. It's not just a simple case of morality. not just a simple case of doing right and wrong. It's, it's a case of how do we relate to everything that we meet. And of course that includes ourselves. How do, we, how do I relate to myself? Okay? So when I said that um, it's only opening a door, it can be done gently. And then it becomes an ethical opening of the door. Hmm? It can be done angrily, and then it becomes an unethical opening of the door. <laughs> so then you realize that everything you do, everything you do really, has an ethical uh, value to it. And, that, and, that's, and that's when you get worried. <laughs> because that's, 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 your con that's our conditioning. And the conditioning is driving us to a certain destiny. Right? Either to happiness or unhappiness. So that, uh, that gives us some idea of, of uh, the thrust of karma. It's the ethics, right? So if the first law was about just the physics of the universe, the chemistry of it, 
and the second one is hereditary and the third one all to do with our psychology and the fifth one to do with the spiritual practices, the spiritual laws. This fourth one, karma, is specific around ethics. It's about ethics. It's about how and why we behave the way we do. So this means that it's impossible to grow in wisdom and behave unethically. There can't be that jarring, you know. Can you imagine, cat, you know, catching the Buddha shoplifting? It wouldn't work, would it? You'd have to think, well, hold on, he said he was enlightened. <laughs> it's just, there are certain things that, that just don't fit once, once we have this image, this archetype of a Buddha, of somebody who's completely purified. And then uh, the last thing, really, is to understand that nothing is set. So that when we do an action, and we can see it wasn't particularly good, we can always stop the consequences of it. So remember, an action will have its consequences. As soon as you act, you're putting an energy of force into a matrix, and you don't know how it's going to happen. I think I mentioned it before. I couldn't remember the, um, uh, the, um, the physics for it, but uh, I'm sure you've heard of the chaos, the theory of chaos, where one small action uh, with supporting conditions can just go out of uh, proportion. So the, the, the thing you're always given is, is always dramatic. A butterfly uh, wing in South, Amer South America, huge storm in the North America because of the, of the surrounding conditions. But I think we can also see it in a slightly, <laughs> slightly more uh, uh, optimistic light that one small act of kindness done somewhere could bring peace in some other part of the world because you don't know what the effect of that will be you know, just like, um, again, uh, on the negative side, the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> See, just a little small act of goodwill put into a particular situation uh, can have these wondrous effects. So, uh, on the positive side, that's why, you know, we should obviously do good things. On the negative side, when you do something, you know it's going to have an effect, something negative. Uh, you know it's going to have an effect. <clears throat> so, just very simply, uh, often uh, with friends at work or in other situations, uh, we might say something which has been taken wrongly. We might not even have meant it to be uh, an insult. It doesn't have to be that you actually mean to do something. It could, be, it, it could have been something that was, wasn't quite meant or... Um, was, wasn't the right thing to say at, the right, at that time. So remember that when the Buddha talks about right speech, he talks about it being kindly, uh, being honest, uh, but also a suitable time. You, know, so <laughs> you have to choose your time to say certain things. And of course that can create a lot of upset, uh, a lot of animosity, uh, and even, even worse. Um, and, and it can reverberate back on you. So it's a case of as soon as we know we've done something, is to do something to bring that process to an end. You know, often a, a simple apology will do. We had a wonderful case here. I'll, I'll so I'll bring come towards an end on this. Uh, we had an oak tree, uh, and it used to overhang the back of the garden here, and we had to get rid of it unfortunately because of the oil tank. There was all sorts of 
health and safety reasons around oil tax. And uh, I had this expert come, who used to um, be in competitions in Colombia, uh, chopping, <laughs> chopping trees down, and he, he really was quite an expert. Anyway, one of our neighbours uh, saw this, and he came over, and I was, in the, I was in the kitchen, I was just coming into the kitchen, and suddenly this awesome row, I mean, really, a lot of anger. So uh, I, I go out there, and of course I'm terribly peaceful and, and equanimous, you see, because I'm not involved. <laughs> <laughs> so I can play the peacemaker, you know. And I'm saying, what's, uh, you know, what, what's, what's going on, you see? And uh, basically he'd come over and um, had questioned the fact as to whether we could, we could uh, take down an oak tree, because some of them are guarded, you see. There was a neighbour here who knocked an oak tree down, he was fined 2,000 quid. So, uh, and, and he, somehow he got it wrong in his head that it wasn't our oak tree, it was all a bit funny. But anyway, the, um, uh, the lumberjack, who was okay by the way, he, uh, <laughs> he, he said something that was really upset him, I mean, he was, you know. And he came out with this stunning phrase, which must go into the annals of, of great phrases. He says, I'm from Liverpool and I'll have you shot. <laughs> I thought, brilliant. <laughs> I thought that is absolutely brilliant. So anyway, as, as it happened, uh, I was able to, uh, to sort of calm him down to some spot. You know. uh, this lumberjack, by the way, who wasn't a particularly big man, but he had a couple of big young fellows with him. So um, the neighbour sort of, he's still raging. And eventually uh, the lumberjack said, said to him, look, he said, uh, you know, you, you just threatened me, you just threatened my life. You know, and I've got witnesses, you know. <laughs> so he said, so finally he said, look, just a simple apology will do. And finally, the neighbour, when he'd all calmed down, he, he said, sorry, and so I went out with his tail between his legs. <laughs> it was sort of a, a wonderful occasion. I wish, I wish it had been filmed. <laughs> uh, so um, in that case, you see, you've got a, a neighbour who knows nothing about Buddhism. He's you know, a million miles away from it. But uh, he recognised that at some point, He'd gone overboard. He'd, he'd lost his, he'd lost a certain equanimity, we can say. <laughs> and uh, just by that simple, very simple apology, it was that was it. You know, not. I'm sure they don't meet uh, for a drink now and again, but but, <laughs> but at least the consequences of what you know of that was was just brought to an end. You know. So. Um, just to summarise there, just so that we're clear about what, uh, what the Buddha's teaching about karma. Not everything that happens to us is to do with our personal karma. And even if something happens to us, it may only be a part of that which is our personal karma. It may only be, um, uh, you know, a small part of it. Um, so, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, our neighbour... Um, the fact that he got involved in that um, was part of his original goodness, you know, trying to save trees, for heaven's sake. I mean, that's, that's where he was coming from. Um, but he got him into this em embroilment, you know. <laughs> and uh, 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 the fact that um, the, the lumberjack didn't take huge offence and, and, um, and, and cut his legs off with, <laughs> with his chainsaw... <laughs> 
was was yeah was was good. <laughs> could have got pretty nasty. <laughs> could have got pretty nasty, you know. So um, there are different laws which we which we're accustomed to, and the physical and the hereditary and the psychological and the spiritual laws. All these things are are almost in every moment of our lives. If you take any moment, you'll see that there's there's a physicality to it, there's a mentality to it, uh, there's, a, uh, there's, there's a hereditary uh, part of it. It's not as though these things are out there not there, they're always there. These laws are always there. And even if we're not aware of the spiritual laws, we're probably going against them and, uh, and creating havoc because of it. And one of them is this law of karma. It's just brought out of the spiritual laws because... It's, it's, very, it's a very specific uh, avenue of, of teaching. And then the idea that, uh, you know, we don't live in a predestined universe. That we don't know, nobody knows what happens. The Buddha said, if you try to work out your karma, you drive you mad. So you don't, we don't know what's going to happen next in any absolute sense. Uh, but that gives us creativity. It gives us destruction. Everything's destroyed and, and then created. Um, it's interesting that in, Hindu, in Hinduism you have Brahma the creator, but then you have Shiva the destroyer, don't you? And uh, Vishnu, uh, the one who uh, creates. I think that's it, I'm not sure now. But anyway, it's, it's, that, it's that business of um, always the, there's always an ending and then there's a beginning, you see, an ending and a beginning. So something has to be destroyed for something to be born. Uh, and that's just part, part and parcel of it. And um, our process, our spiritual process, is, is this process of purification. <clears throat> and uh, you can come, uh, the, wheel, the, the Eightfold Path starts off with right understanding, which affects our attitudes, which affects the way we speak, and what we do, and, our, and the way we, um, and our livelihood. But remember, it can also, it comes back on itself, there's feedback. So there are many uh, livelihoods which have in themselves a see, you know, uh, the potential for compassion. In fact, all livelihood, apart from those which uh, are obviously uh, unwholesome, uh, have the quality of service about them. Uh, and I'll probably say more about that tomorrow. And it's this quality of service that's coming through the heart, through, through the attitude which then becomes a wisdom. So the distinction between compassion, love and wisdom is just they're two sides of the same coin. You can't have wisdom without the expression of compassion. And you can't have compassion unless you've got the wisdom. So compassion is wisdom in action. You see. So everything in that sense is, is connected. So uh, there's a part of us which is investigating, but also the part of us which is doing things is crucially important to this whole process of, uh, of purification, liberation, and the awakening, the process of awakening. Okay. So I can only hope my words have been of some assistance. May you, by your severe practice, attain full liberation from all suffering sooner rather than later. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.